0: Well, you know, there's a, there's a pretty impressive story that is told of a 19th century violinist by the name of Niccolo Paganini. It all happened toward the end of one of his concerts where he was performing accompanied by a full orchestra. He was playing a very difficult piece of music to a packed house when suddenly a string on his violin snapped and it hung down from his instrument. When this happened, you could kind of see a frown on Paganini's face, but he continued to play, and he beautifully improvised, missing the one string. But then to the conductor's surprise, a moment later, another string broke, and then shortly thereafter, a third. Now, there are three limp strings hanging from this man's Stradivarius, but amazingly enough, this master performer was able to complete this difficult composition on the one remaining string. When he finished, the audience jumped to their feet and they filled the halls with shouts of bravo, bravo. And then as the applause died down, Paganini asked the people to take their seats. And even though that they knew there was no way that there could be an encore, they obediently sat back down in their seats. And when they did, he held up his violin quite high for everyone to see and with a twinkle in his eye, he nodded to the conductor of the orchestra to begin the encore, and he shouted out loud, Paganini and a one-string violin. And then he placed his one-stringed violin beneath his chin, and he played the encore. Well, as you can imagine, the audience, as well as the conductor of the orchestra, they were amazed at what they had just experienced as they witnessed the great skill and determination Paganini had displayed in overwhelming circumstances. The reason that I wanted to share that story with you this morning is when you read it, you can only come to one conclusion. This man had an incredible attitude. And the reason, uh, and and, and his attitude, I think, um, illustrates for us a really important truth. When it comes to accomplishing overwhelming tasks, I think it's obvious that attitude is everything. This is a principle that we've got to remember because the fact is, as Christians, we have been given an overwhelming task to accomplish. When in Matthew 28, Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations. And of course, this should be very familiar to you because over the last six weeks, we've been studying how the very first church began to accomplish this colossal task. And those early Christians obviously had the right kind of an attitude because they did a phenomenal job. In fact, it only took 27 years for them to take the good news of the gospel all the way to Rome. But the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, we've still got a long way to go before this task is accomplished. There are still millions of people out there who have not heard of Jesus' love. And it is our job to tell them about it. Reverend Billy Graham once said, the evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The destiny of men and of nations is always being decided. Every generation is strategic. We are not responsible for the past generation and we cannot bear the full responsibility for the next one. But we do have our generation. And I want you to really pay attention to this last statement he makes. God will hold us responsible as to how well we fulfill our responsibilities to this age and take advantage of our opportunities. You see, right here, right now, we are the current stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our job to take this news to our generation. And I don't know about you, but When I think about this great unfinished task, I sometimes feel like I'm holding a one string violin. Because at times, it can seem impossible. And if you feel the same way, I want you to pay close attention to our message this morning. Because as I said a moment ago, when it comes to overwhelming tasks, attitude is everything. Chuck Swindoll points out that the text message that we are going to read this morning he points out that there are six attitudes within what we're going to read that, that, the early, that helped the early church to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the then known world. And they are the same six attitudes that, that you and I need to embrace if we are going to play our part in the great commission that the Lord has given to each of us. Now, you remember last week, we, we looked at the first part of Acts chapter eight, and we saw how Philip had gone to Samaria to share the gospel. And we learned that when he arrived, he began to preach and minister, and a great revival broke out, and God was greatly blessing Philip's work. And thousands of people came to faith in Jesus through his preaching and through his ministry. So the work in Samaria couldn't have been going any better than it was. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter eight. We will be reading verses 26 through 40. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew pocket in front of you that you can use or all the scriptures today will be up on the screen behind me and you can follow along. Acts chapter eight, verses 26 through 40. I'll be reading from the NIV this morning. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, "'Tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about, "'himself or someone else?' "'Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture "'and told him the good news about Jesus. "'As they traveled along the road, "'they came to some water, and the eunuch said, "'Look, here is water. "'What can stand in the way of me being baptized?' Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now, as I said, this text begins by describing an unusual time of blessing on the early church. The the, the revival that was going on in Samaria was, was growing. It was spreading, and since he was the chief evangelist of it all, Philip played a very, very important role in it. Now Peter and John had already gone and had visited there to inspect his work, but they had since gone back to report. So Philip is now all alone there. He is now the frontline man uh, of this great revival and he seemed to be utterly indispensable. And yet it was at this exact moment when God called him away. And this, this is where we see our first necessary attitude when it comes to evangelism, personal evangelism. And it is the attitude of sensitivity. Think of it, seemingly out of the blue, God told Philip to head off for the desert. No reason was given. No arrangements were made for someone to take his place in Samaria. There was just a command for him to go. And I want you to think of how easily it might've been for Philip to be so caught up in the excitement and the electricity going on at that Samaritan revival, he could have easily been not been sensitive to, to God's voice and going in an entirely new direction. But but Philip wasn't. He was alert, he was ready, he was sensitive to God's leading. And he had walked with God long enough to know that as a sovereign God, he has the right to throw a curveball every once in a while. And guess what? He often does. I mean, Philip could have said, all right, Lord, I'll go, but I'm not going now. I'll get to that region eventually, but later on when the proper time arrives, things are going so great here, it's not time to leave. Or he could have said, not me, Lord, I'm really needed here. What about those 12 apostles sitting up there in Jerusalem? Haven't you given them the great commission too? Send one of them and not me. Or he could have said, not there, Lord, Not in that desert area, you think I'm crazy? Nobody lives down there. Plus it's like 135 degrees at noontime in the shade. No one ever travels that road, especially this time of day. I need to stay here, God, because that's where the action is. But Philip, he didn't say any of those things. He was mature enough to to trust God's leading. He knew that God knows more than we know. And that's a certainty because God makes clear in Isaiah 55, eight, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. Does that sting sometimes? How many times have you been so sure of something? You were so certain that you had the knowledge and you come to find out it was in complete contradiction to what God had planned. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And if we are to complete this great task of evangelizing our world, then we too must embrace this attitude of trusting God's perspective. But let's break this down because the last statement that I made could be a real good reason that many of us are not evangelizing. And I think it's because of the term, the great task of evangelizing our world. Please don't let that scare you. You are not called to evangelize our world. You are called to evangelize your part of the world. I mean, you've got to break this thing down. When you say the world, you go, I'm but one human being. God's not asking you to go somewhere else. He's got people in other places. He's asking you to evangelize those who you have influence over, those who you know, relationships that you have, people that you know and some that you don't know but you rub elbows with constantly. It's your family. It's your neighbors. It's your work associates. It's people within this community. The body of Christ His church is called to evangelize the world. And when we all do our part, this is how the whole world gets evangelized. So we must all be willing and sensitive to the move of God's spirit and his leading. We must always keep our spiritual ears perked up and tuned in so that we can hear God's instructions. I read about a megachurch pastor who talked about this principle of always being sensitive to the Spirit's leading. He shared that like many husbands, one of his responsibilities was to take out the garbage. How many of you guys do that at your house? Yeah, I'm the, guy, I'm the trash guy at our house. Anyway, every Tuesday night, he can be found taking his trash cans out to the curb. Well, on one cold January evening, he was quickly doing his chore. In fact, he, he hadn't even bothered to put on his shoes. His plan was to drag out the can as fast as he could and then run back before his toes froze. Well, he started tiptoeing back up the driveway and he, and he noticed his, his new neighbor from across the street was taking his garbage out too. So the pastor left his own curb on the can. He made a quick turn and he started dashing through his, up his driveway when the Holy Spirit prompted him, go walk across the street and introduce yourself to that guy. He thought, no, God, it's cold out here. He's cold. My toes are freezing off. uh, Let's do it at another time. But again, he was hit with the same words. Go walk across the street, introduce yourself to that guy, and furthermore, welcome him to your neighborhood. So somewhat reluctantly, he did. He walked over and he said something like, hi, I'm so-and-so, your neighbor from across the street. Welcome to the neighborhood. And in return, the neighbor said, well, nice to meet you. I'm so-and-so. I own the new car dealership in town. And they both pivoted and they returned to their homes. Well, this pastor said that amazingly enough, pretty much like clockwork, every Tuesday night, a similar thing happened. Whenever he took out his garbage, his neighbor was taking out his garbage and they began to talk a little bit more each time. To make a long story short, Every time this pastor did his garbage duty, God's spirit would prompt him to spend more time talking to this guy. And through these conversations around their guests, their their garbage cans, they became close friends. And eventually this pastor led him and his family to the Lord. This man learned that he was a pastor of a megachurch and he learned that this guy was not a Christian and he owned a car dealership in town. I want you to understand that that this story, when you look at it, it all started with someone having an attitude that was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because like Philip, this pastor realized that God sees a lot more than we're able to see. And he knows a whole lot more than we are ever able to know. And if we let him, he will guide us to people who desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this morning, is there a street that God has been prompting you to cross? Is there a hallway at your place of work where God is saying to you, walk across there and go introduce yourself to that new person who started a couple weeks ago? Perhaps you have a neighbor that you've never talked to and you heard through the grapevine that he just had open heart surgery and maybe God is telling you, why don't you take him some dinner tonight? encourage him in his recovery, and and offer to help. You see, if we're going to win this world for Jesus, we all need to be sensitive to those kind of promptings because they are never just happenstance. Those are all God-ordained encounters. And if we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, God will direct us to hurting people who need to hear about Jesus. And that leads me to the second attitude that we've got to embrace, the attitude of availability. Think of availability as sensitivity's twin, because it doesn't do us much good to be open to hearing God's call if we're not willing to follow it. The two kind of have to go together. And the fact is, when we are willing, and when we are able, when we make ourselves available, Exciting things do happen. And we see this example here in, in Philip's life. Look back at verse 27 and 28. So as he started out on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the kandake which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Now I want you to be sure that you understand who this Ethiopian is. This guy was a very high ranking official in the Ethiopian government. He worked for the Kandake, In other words, he worked for the queen. Uh, so he, he reported to the queen of Ethiopia himself, or herself, and he was in charge of the entire nation's treasury. This desert traveler, was the second most powerful person in that nation. And let me explain something to you. The kings of this African nation were thought to be incarnations of the sun god. And because of that line of thinking, the everyday affairs of running the country were beneath them. So the real power, as it does in many homes of, our, of America, the real power lays in the hands of the queen. And this eunuch worked for her. Now, back then, Ethiopia was much larger nation than it is today. Its borders covered a huge chunk of Africa, south of Egypt, and the whole region of the upper Nile. And this is the same nation from where the Queen of Sheba had come earlier to visit in the days of King Solomon. So there had already been a link between that area and Judaism. The Bible tells us, that the queen of Sheba had been greatly impressed with Solomon, perhaps he shared scriptures with her, maybe that's why this man came to Jerusalem, we don't know for sure. But for some reason, he had gotten into his mind that some 1200 miles away in Jerusalem, there was a religion that he should investigate if he was serious about finding God. He was probably like many people of his day who were weary of worshiping multiple man-made gods. They were tired of all of the loose and contradictory morals that go on with that kind of of false worship. So understand that this man, he wanted to find the truth. He yearned to to fill the emptiness, you know, that God-sized shaped hole that everybody has inside of them. So he traveled many hundreds of miles away from his home all the way to Jerusalem. And the fact that he could afford to make that kind of a trip just is another indication of just how wealthy and how important and influential this man really was. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't read this story without sensing a note of disillusionment. I mean, this guy had come all this way to investigate the Jewish faith, but he's going home dissatisfied. Why? Because he had no doubt discovered that he could not enter into the temple. Why? Because Deuteronomy 23, one says this, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So why does this scripture affect this man? Well, I don't know if you caught when I read the scripture, but this man was a eunuch meaning he had been castrated for his work since he worked for the queen. It was a common practice in those ancient days to do this to men who worked with powerful women like the queen. And it had been done to protect the women from potential sexual assault, or I even suppose consensual sexual relations with him. So this man, this Ethiopian was left out. And he was going home empty-handed, but not complete empty-handed because while in Jerusalem, he apparently purchased a copy of the text of the book of Isaiah. Perhaps, as, I, as you think about this, he was drawn to this particular book because in Isaiah 56 verses 3 through 5, it speaks to his situation. Listen to what it says. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people and let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and all its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. In any case, this man is traveling along and he's reading out loud from this scroll. And Luke tells us that he was reading from chapter 53, which is a foundational text because it prophesied Jesus' birth, his ministry, his substitutionary death, and of course his victorious resurrection. But these powerful words, they they puzzled this Ethiopian. And at the precise moment, As he began to yearn for an answer to his questions, guess who comes walking by? Philip. God said, go over to that chariot, Philip, and stand near it. And so he did. And as he drew near, he heard the man reading from Isaiah. Is God's timing perfect or what? This is what happens when you follow God's lead. Things happen you could never orchestrate on your own. And the reason they don't have to often is because we don't follow his lead. We think we got a better plan. Well, I'll get around to that later. God asked you to do something at that moment. Don't walk away from it, follow it, and everything will be laid out for you. Remember that. Philip's sensitivity to God's spirit combined, I might add, with his obedience made himself available for this assignment. And all this made possible for him to be involved in a truly exciting divine encounter. Now think about it. Like his master, Philip was willing to leave the cheering crowds of Samaria and deal with just one lost soul. And that's God's way, because God doesn't just care about the masses and the throngs of people. He cares about the individual. I mean, out of all the billions of people, walking the face of this earth. God knows you. He knows your name. He knows all about you. He knows what you ate for breakfast this morning. He cares about you. We, say, we see this same quality of love in Jesus' ministry. Remember, there was a demon-possessed man who needed soundness of mind, and Jesus went to him. There was a teacher named Nicodemus, who needed the new birth of salvation. And Jesus spent an entire evening talking with him, answering his questions. There was a prostitute by the well who needed someone to guide her out of the shadows. And Jesus ignored the prejudice of his day. And he initiated a conversation that led to her salvation. And there was a thief, if you'll remember, on the cross who needed a redemptive promise in the hour of his death. And Jesus gave it to him. Jesus never neglected the one for the many. He was and is the great shepherd. He isn't satisfied with almost all of the sheep in the fold, but he goes out searching for the one that is lost. And he calls us to this same kind of one-on-one caring ministry. And by the way, let me remind you of something. This is the most a productive and effective type of evangelism, one-on-one. Surveys show that 90% of people who come to faith in Jesus don't come through a church visitation program or a great evangelistic crusade. They come to Christ through a friend, a Christian friend who is sensitive to the leading of God. A friend who makes himself available for God to use in order to reach out to that one lost soul who is seeking God. You know, people often ask, if Jesus is the only way to heaven, and what about those people who never hear the gospel? What about those groups who live out in remote areas and regions where missionaries have not yet come? What about them? Well listen, I don't pretend to understand how God deals with all of this. But I want you to know that I trust his love, I trust his grace, and I especially trust his justice. God is going to be just in all things. You can count on that. Plus, I think we see here at least a partial part of the answer to that question. You see, like this Ethiopian, all human beings, we all have this inborn longing for God. And when they respond to that longing, they start seeking God. And when they start seeking God, they find him. And God sends Christians like he did Philip to help them to receive and to understand his great love. As God says in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So what about you? Are you making yourself available to God? Do you embrace this attitude where you say like Isaiah, here I am, Lord, now send me. I am ready, I am willing, and I am available to go wherever it is you need me to go to speak to whoever it is you want me to speak to. Well, this leads me to the third attitude that all effective evangelists, which you are, which I am, must embrace, and it is the attitude of initiative. God told Philip to stay near that chariot, and he did. Then when he heard the man reading, he took the initiative to run up to that chariot and ask him, do you understand what it is that you're reading? Now, I want you to understand that that would have taken a lot of courage because there were probably soldiers guarding that man. I mean, if he's the second most powerful person in that nation and controls the treasury, you can be sure that he had armed bodyguards around him. So running up to that chariot would have been a dangerous thing to do. They would have probably have interpreted that as some kind of an attack, but Philip bravely went anyway. Did they attack him? No, because God set this thing up. He trusted God's guidance, so he didn't have to worry about those guards. Plus, he didn't wait for the man to lean out of the window of his chariot and yell, excuse me, but you happen to be an Old Testament scholar. (laughs) No, he, he saw this as God opening a door and he chose to walk through that door. He was sensitive enough to God's spirit to see that God had been there before him, preparing this man for this encounter. And this is something that we've all got to realize God goes before us in every witnessing encounter. So we can confidently take initiative, just like Philip did here. And this is important because there are still people like this eunuch walking around in our city today. People who hunger for God, God, but they don't know how to find him. You'll find them experiencing sometimes in cults or or with drugs or with false religion. Some even start, believe it or not, listening to radio and television evangelists. Or they start reading their Bible even though they don't really understand what it is that that they're reading. These kind of people, High Point, are everywhere. And the same spirit who led Philip to this Ethiopian, he wants to direct you and I to them. They need somebody like you and me, who will care for them, enough about them to have the initiative to chase down their chariots and tell them a little bit about Jesus. So let's review some examples of how you might run up to some modern chariots. Let's say that your children play with your neighbor's kids. Well, why not tell them, you know, my church has a mega sports camp every summer that we've been doing for decades. Why don't you let your kids attend it? We can drive down there, check them in together. Then you can go home and have a couple nights off with your spouse. Let me tell you something. When you get your kids, or when kids get involved in church, and they go home, and they tell their parents what they learned and how much fun they had, don't believe for a second that that doesn't prick the ears of the parent. They are interested. And they are, at that point, primed for an invitation from you to invite them to something going on here, like a men's or a women's ministry event, or Easter or to our Christmas concert, something, anything to get them through these doors. We need we need to take the initiative to find God-given openings like this and utilize them. Remember Romans 10, 13 and 14 says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And let me add to that. I'm not supposed to add to the scriptures, but how can you be sent if you don't obey God? So as Christians, we need to take the initiative to to tell them, and to be the one who is sent. Well the fourth essential evangelistic attitude that Philip displayed was the attitude of tactfulness. This is really important. I mean as you look at the things that Philip had to say, Philip had to say, and the way he said them, you can see that he was completely unoffensive in any way. He didn't pull out his textbook on Christian apologetics, all ready for an argument. And that's a problem, I've seen, I've seen Christians arguing with people, that's not gonna work. He didn't swagger up with his concordance stuck underneath his arm because he wasn't out to impress. He wasn't out to, to uh, convince anybody. He came graciously with only one simple question. He said, do you understand what it is that you're reading? There is no hint of offense. There is no hint of a put down going on in his approach. He genuinely wanted wanted to know, I'm having a hard time getting words out today and I'm not sure why. He genuinely wanted to know if that stranger in that chariot understood the words he was reading. Philip wasn't pushy. He graciously awaited an invitation to climb up into that chariot before doing so. He started where this man was, rather than cranking out some kind of a a canned sermon. Not once did he put the man down or pull rank or attempt to impress him in any way. He gave this stranger some space in order to think things through without feeling foolish. In short, he displayed courtesy and tact. And it is very important that we do the same thing. Evangelism, folks, is not some sort of an assault by the God squad or some spiritual mugging mission where we show up and start shoving the gospel of Jesus Christ down somebody's throat, and I've seen that, and it's sad to watch. Those in your face kind of tactics do not work, particularly in our day and age. To fulfill our part of the Great Commission, we must be polite, we must be tactful, and we must also be gracious. In her book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, Rebecca Pippert tells of a time when this tactful nature helped her in her efforts to share her faith. This is what she writes. She said, one person who was quite hostile to what she perceived was Christianity once told me in anger, I can't stand those hypocrites who go to church every Sunday. They make me sick. Pippert replied, yes, isn't it amazing how far many people are from true Christianity? When you think of how vast the difference is between the real thing and what they do, it's like worlds apart. Ever since I discovered what Christianity really is about, the more mystified I am. And the woman responded, the real thing? What do you mean by that? She said, we talked for an hour about faith because her hostility had been changed to curiosity. Pippert's conversation here illustrates the fact that, that tact means rather than arguing about something, we find a way or we find something with which we can agree on. Rather than attacking, we show genuine concern. We always uphold the dignity of the individual. That's what Philip did. And then when the time was right, he came to the point. And that leads me to the next attitude that we must embrace, the attitude of being precise. In response to Philip's tactful question, this is what the eunuch said, or his question, do you understand what you're reading? This is what the eunuch said to him in return. Tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that passage and began to tell him the good news about who? About Jesus. Philip didn't offer any highfalutin philosophy or any kind of over-the-top theology that I think sometimes people, you, you think you have to be or, or, or do, you don't. He didn't use any turn or burn threats, any forsake or bake threats. You ever heard that? Turn or burn. You don't expect Jesus, you're going to burn in hell. Well, that's a reality, but you don't have to say it like that for crying out loud. You think you're going to win people that way? don't find Jesus, you're going to bake. If you, if, you, if you forsake, you're going to bake in the oven of hell. hell. That's, that's not a way to come. Grief, if you were in sales and you did that, you'd be out in one day. Sorry, I come from a sales background. That is just That is just wrong. And by the way, I'm selling the greatest product known to mankind now. I'm not selling it. It's free. It's free. He didn't offer any scary prophetic charts about seven-headed apocalyptic beasts? Why do we have to get in that stuff with people? Why do we gotta murk the waters? They'll learn that after they come to know Christ, when they start studying their Bible. He just told them precisely what they needed to hear, what he needed to hear, the news of Jesus' perfect life, his sacrificial death on our behalf, and his supernatural resurrection. We must practice that same kind of precision in our personal evangelistic endeavors. If we don't, this is what happens. People will pull you down rabbit holes with discussions about evolution or the confusing trends in sexual orientation today or wokeness or whatever kind of a topic. They'll start talking about something other than Jesus which will distract you and we must remember, like the Apostle Paul, we are called to preach one thing, and that is Christ crucified. Amen. This is news that people need to hear, and this is a message that they will respond to. Pastor John Bisagno tells a story that happened back in the Cold War days when he invited an evangelist to come and lead his church in a revival. For the first three nights... This evangelist spoken of all things, the evils of communism. And each night when the invitation was made for people to accept Christ, no one came forward. And finally, the evangelist said, I don't understand why people aren't coming for the invitation and Bisegno said, what do you expect them to do? Come down and join the FBI? It is Jesus and Jesus alone that must be the focus of our efforts because faith in him is the only issue that matters. None of the other stuff does. It's all about Jesus. Reminds me of the story of a little boy who, went, who returned home after his first visit to Sunday school. His mother asked, who was your teacher? He said, I don't remember her name, but she must have been Jesus' grandmother because that's all she talked about. That Sunday school teacher got it right. So let me ask you a question this morning. Could you be that precise? I mean, could like Philip, could you take that scripture from Isaiah and tell that Ethiopian about Jesus? Could you do that? Please remember the Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? the Word of God. Do you know your Bible well enough to do this? Could you use your Bible as a tool to point someone towards Jesus? If not, then you need to get active in one of our discipleship classes on Sunday morning that happens before this service, or you need to become a part of a small group Bible study. Commit yourself daily to a quiet time and train yourself to use the sword of this truth, the Bible, to use it and utilize it. Let me give you a a, a quick beginning here. We should all know this, and maybe you've heard about it, something called the Romans Road. It is five scriptures from the book of Romans that, that shows us the pathway from sin to salvation. Please write these down. Learn them, learn where they are, mark them in your Bible so you have it available to you. It starts with Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is where you identify the reality of the human condition. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This first articulates the end result of our sin, which is death, but then it identifies the free gift that Jesus offers to save us from our sin. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This scripture shows us that Jesus loves this individual so much, no matter what condition that person is is in, currently in, he died for him, providing a remedy for their sin. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This scripture shows us how to receive this free gift of salvation. And lastly is Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this scripture shows us that once you have been accepted by Christ, You are truly free, not just from sin and death, but no one can condemn you any longer. These scriptures from Romans are just a start. Every believer should know those scriptures and should be able to explain clearly the pathway from sin into salvation. And you would do yourself well to write those scriptures down, mark them in your Bible, and practice how you might use them when you're talking to someone. So let's review quickly. If we are to do our part in completing the, the Great Commission, we need attitudes of sensitivity, of availability, of tactfulness, and of initiative. But one further attitude that Philip modeled was the attitude of decisiveness. As they rode along, and as Philip told this Ethiopian about Jesus' life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection, I think Philip finally came to a point where he told this man about Jesus' ascension and his final command that he gave to us in Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And about that time, as only God could do, I think they came upon river or a pond of water of some sort, because at that moment, if you go back, the Ethiopian said to him, well, look, here's some water. I want to be a disciple and be baptized. Now, I'm not sure if your Bible has a verse 37. you, You can only answer that, where Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Some biblical scholars don't think that verse was in the original manuscripts, and that's why it's not in some of your Bibles, but I disagree with that thought because after his experience, remember we talked last week about Simon the sorcerer who had a pretend faith in Jesus and even went through the motions of getting baptized in water, Philip would have seen at this point a great need to be certain about this Ethiopian's faith in Jesus. He didn't want another Simon Magus deal to happen again. So he explained to him that belief precedes baptism. He made sure that this man understood how to become a Christian before he was baptized. And we need to be just as decisive. We must be careful not to assume anything. When I baptize people here on Sunday mornings, we meet ahead of time and I explain to them what they're getting into. I want them to fully understand. Baptism does not save you. You're just being obedient to Jesus' example. You are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, the shed blood. And if you're not in a relationship with Christ, I'm not gonna baptize you. You get saved, then you get baptized. So I make that very, very clear. So we can't assume things. There, be, there comes a point in every evangelistic encounter when we must encourage people to make a decision to confess their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Luke tells us that they went down to the water and Philip baptized this Ethiopian. And the moment he brought this man up out of the water, God's Spirit, it said, took Philip away. He disappeared. Imagine that. Interestingly enough, it's the same word that is used in 1 Thessalonians 4 where it says when Jesus returns, we will be caught up to meet him in the clouds. So basically, Philip was raptured here except he didn't go to heaven. Jesus took him to Azotus, which was his next assignment. Amazing, supernatural, miraculous. He disappears and ends up where God called him to go. Well, get this, tradition tells us that this Ethiopian went home and he shared the gospel with his nation. And prophecy foretold of the results of this in Psalms sixty-eight thirty-one, where it says Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. Amen. So please understand something. By witnessing to that single person, Philip had an eternal impact on an entire continent of people. Amen. And this is further truth that the attitudes that we embrace are so vitally important. Likewise, having the right attitude is vitally important for you and I if we are to complete the great commission that God has called us to. Liz, will you come forward and help me to close this down? We already had a time at the altar this morning. And so I'm not going to call you down here today, but I'd never like to end a service without giving people the opportunity to accept Christ. And I'm just going to tell you the process in which to do that. I, I meant to come up after we had time of prayer and lead everybody in the sinner's prayer, but it slipped my mind and, and I want to do that before I, I continue on. I just have just a little bit more here in my message. If you don't know Jesus this morning, You can become like that Ethiopian man and you can become changed in a twinkling of an eye in an instant and basically all you do is acknowledge Jesus as Lord. You acknowledge that he came to this earth and he died a horrific death on the cross. And it was the blood that he shed that that atones, it covers, it washes away your sin. Acknowledge that he's God. Acknowledge that he died for you and that his sin covered, his blood covered your sin and ask him for forgiveness of your sin and The Bible says he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness, and it also says you will become a new creation. So in my closing prayer, if you don't know Jesus, just pray a prayer like that in your own words, in your own way, and you can leave here today living a different kind of a life and receiving a fresh start. I think everybody can use a fresh start, huh? Thanks for the grace of God, we get a fresh start every single day. But before I pray, there's something else I wanna add to this message this morning. Everything that God commands us to do, when we do it, it comes with a blessing attached. And that blessing comes to us. There is always a reciprocal blessing that flows whenever we do God's will. Many of you are shaking your head because you've experienced it. And this is just another reason that you and I need to play a part in the Great Commission. And yet I am aware that many Christians don't share their faith ever. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Mostly it's fear. It's for the first time doing something that is out of your comfort zone. Some people fear rejection, some people fear failure, and a lot of people fear not knowing what to say. And because of that, you literally take God out of the equation altogether. But it's like I told you, when God calls you to do something, he prepares that moment. And he will even give you words to speak that you didn't know you knew. I've, I've seen things, I've heard things come out of my mouth and I go, where did that come from? I'm not that smart but the Lord gave me the right thing to say at the right moment for the right individual. Sometimes people don't share their faith because they feel hypocritical. They feel like uh, they haven't arrived yet. They haven't got their life completely together. They erroneously assume that they should not be leading people to Christ because they don't perceive themselves as being perfect yet. Well, can I tell you something? If you wait to be perfect, you're never gonna move past where you are today. Because perfectionism, hear me out, perfectionism is hazardous to your Christian walk. There was only one who is perfect, and that is the Lord whom we serve. Some don't share their faith because you don't want to be inconvenienced. You work on such a tight schedule by design, you just can't seem to find the time. Some don't share their faith because they wear spiritual blinders. They don't want to listen to or hear God's leading because they're control freaks. I'm a lot like that, believe it or not. <laughs> they worry about not being in control at a particular moment. And if I can't be in control, then I'm going to shrink back. It's this feeling you got to have that you're in control. We all have our reasons for not sharing our faith, but none of them are valid reasons. They're not. They're just reasons that we conjure up in our mind to prevent us from doing what God has commanded us to do. And can I just say this morning that if you just break through that one time, if you would break through all of that minutia and actually try it just once and see how God used you and how God even gave you the things to say, which he will, and then you help someone to cross over that line and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you would receive such joy and being a part of that that you'd be angry with yourself that it took you so long to finally step out and do it for the first time. So my prayer is this morning, that we would apply these attitudes that we talked about this morning to our own lives, as we seek to evangelize our family and our friends and our work associates and our neighbors that live around us. And furthermore, I wanna pray that God would bring us opportunities so that we could step out of our comfort zone, so that we we could step out in faith knowing God has already prepared this God-ordained moment for us, and we just got to be obedient and walk through it. Would you all please stand to your feet? I want to pray over you that we'll dismiss this service. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all the instruction that is found if you just dig below the surface. Sometimes, Lord, we read your word and it seems nice, but sometimes when we dig and we study, it seems unbelievable to us. And such is the story of the early new church. Father, they did incredible exploits for your kingdom, and the only reason they did incredible exploits is because they made themselves available. And they trusted you and they believed that you would take care of them in those situations when they stepped out in faith. And Father, I pray that that would be the heart's cry of my church family. I thank you for every one of them. I thank you for what a blessing they are to me personally, to my family, and to this community. And God, I pray that my family, my church family would become sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. I pray that we would be available to act upon that leading. Father, that we would take the initiative to engage people in conversations. And when we do, that we would be tactful in the things that we say. And that we would be precise in what the message of the cross is all about. And it's about Jesus Christ. And Father, that we would see souls being one, one at a time. What a difference it would make in this church, what a difference it would especially make in this community. And then as we win people, and they're excited about their newfound relationship in Christ, they would lead others. And we would see exponential groups of people in this community coming to know you. Father, I ask the day that you would make us all ready, willing, and able to play a part in the Great Commission. As we go our separate ways today, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would go with us and guide and direct our steps, places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have. Lord, that those conversations we are involved in would, would build people up and not tear them down. I pray that we would shine like bright lights in a very dark and corrupted world. So much so that people would sense your love and your spirit and your presence in us and they would say what is it about you it's what happens often and God you open that door and I pray that you would give us the courage to walk through it start up a conversation about Jesus what he's done in our lives and why this individual needs him so desperately and God I pray that you would give us a godly encounter this week pray that literally everyone in this place would have an opportunity to come before their path and maybe whereas before they might say no I'm not going to go there that you would give them the courage to say yes i am going to go there i'm going to be obedient to your voice god and i'm going to tell someone about your goodness so God as we leave here today i pray that you would go with us keep us safe From any accidents that might befall us keep us safe from any sicknesses or illnesses that might come upon us and as we leave here today father i ask that we go in love the love of christ would shine through in dealing with all people especially the unlovable ones and allow you father to use us to do something great for your kingdom and i ask these things in the precious name of jesus amen and amen thank you for being here today